Keeping It With Jones, the Lonnie Jones podcast adventure, is brought to you by TKM Incorporated. This company located in Moss, Tennessee, specializes in erosion control, hydro-seeding, hydro-mulch, silt fence. They do minor excavation work, and they also provide traffic control and construction signs. Their mission is keeping people safe. Their passion is wishing that all men could be saved. TKM stands for The King's Men. If you'd like to contact The King's Men, you can contact them at 931-243-3958, 931-243-3958, or you may email them at tkminc2001 at twlakes.net. That is tkminc2001 at twlakes.net. The King's Men, in partnership with Keeping Up With Jones, the Lonnie Jones podcast adventure. SJL General Contractor is a full construction company that primarily focuses on civil construction and asphalt sales in the Huntsville and Fayetteville regions. Services they provide include, but are not limited to, road construction, asphalt material, underground utilities, site work, and demolition. They employ heavy equipment operators, concrete finishers, pipe layers, and CDL dump truck drivers. If you would like for this company to work for you on your project, or if you'd like to work for them as an employee of this family-owned business, you can contact them at 931-433-4660. That is 931-433-4660. Or three W's and a dot, sjnl.com. That's www.sjnl.com. SJNL General Contractor is a sponsor of Keeping Up With Jones. Lonnie Jones podcast adventure. The first time I went deer hunting in Alabama was after we'd moved to Huntsville. Jackie and I moved to Huntsville in 1986, and we were allowed to live in a house that the church owned. It wasn't really the parsonage, but they owned this property on Kenwood Drive in North Huntsville, and we lived in the basement. Now, you walk out of the basement door where our cars parked, and there were these huge pine trees, and I would throw ropes over the limbs of the pine trees and haul myself into the air like you would using a double rope technique and lock myself off and swing around the trees and practice my repelling skills. And this became a fascination of one of my neighbors. This young man would, would walk across the street. We were both young men in our 20s and 30s. And uh, he'd walk across the street and, and, and talk to me because he's, you know he was fascinated. They had this neighbor out here climbing these pine trees like a chimney pansy. Well, turns out this guy was a member of the same church, not not the same congregation, but he was a member of the Church of Christ, and I had been newly hired as a youth minister at Memorial Parkway Church of Christ. And this young man, Brent Thatcher, was a newly minted Huntsville police officer. And as a newly minted Huntsville police officer, that means he'd recently graduated from the academy. So in the course of our discussions and me being in shape enough to climb trees using just a rope, uh, he invited me to go for a run one night. <laughs> well, I thought in my arrogance that as young as I was and as fit as I thought I was that I could run with this guy. Well, I'm not a, had not been a runner up to that point. I didn't run in high school and really, you know, my fitness regimen did not involve a lot of cardio. 
And so if you've ever tried to keep up with a newly graduated Huntsville police cadet, they will run your legs off. Now, running my legs off is not a great deal because I don't have that large of legs to run off. If my legs were any shorter, they wouldn't reach the ground. But anyway, we go for this run and he has to keep coming back to get me and he has to keep, you know, slowing his pace. And so when we get back to his house, I guess he was feeling some some hubris. And so he said, well, you want to do some push-ups now? He couldn't see me grin in the dark. I said, I'll do two for every one you do. And challenge accepted. And I earned some of my uh, self-respect and self-esteem back with the push-up contest. Because having short arms means you can do push-ups like a piston engine because there's not a big stroke there. Just wicky, wicky, wicky. I can do a lot of push-ups. And, and, and that was one of my hobbies in my main workout. So this developed into a friendship. And Brent and I were neighbors. And so Brent invited me to go hunting. Now you've got to understand that in those days, I was not a hunter. I did not have any gear. I did not have any knowledge. Uh, I didn't have any anything that made me a hunter, except I had this old 30-30 lever action Winchester rifle. I had bought it for my birthday. I had taken the, some money people had given me and a little money that I had squirreled away, and I bought myself this lever action rifle. And so my 30-30 was what I was going to deer hunt with. Now, I'd only deer hunted in Arkansas a couple of times with a guy named John Moore. In fact, one of the very first times that I went with John, I brought home a, a buck, a, an eight-point buck. I was walking down this draw with my uh, lever-action rifle and kind of stalking a little bit, and I saw what I thought might be th the rear end of a deer, and I brought my rifle up, and I looked carefully, and... Well, his back feet weren't touching the ground. Now, I'm not foolish enough to shoot a deer that can levitate. There's some kind of shaman activity going on. There's, there's some kind of shapeshifter here. So I'm being really careful, and I trace the outline of the deer, and his head's on the ground and his tongue sticking out. Well, I whisper to John, John, John. He looks over at me. What? I see a deer. He holds his hands up and he makes the motion of shoot it. Well, I pull my hunting knife out, stick it between my teeth and go charging off into the woods. <laughs> John thought I'd lost my mind, but this deer had tried to jump a fence and hooked his back legs in the top strand and, and apparently had broken his neck. There was no signs on the deer where he'd struggled against the barbed wire like he'd been entangled. He just simply was probably trying to show off for the ladies and did a, instead of doing a deer jump, he did a Pippi Le Pew jump and his feet caught and bam, broke his neck. We brought this deer out of the woods. We field dressed it and uh, we butchered it and subsequently cooked some of it and ate it. Everybody in town thought I'd killed the deer. I said, not him kill the deer. I, I found it. No, you didn't. But the first deer ever brought out of the woods. So I've never even fired this rifle at a deer. So that's my hunting gear to go with, with Brent. I put on a pair of uh, sweatpants, and over the sweatpants, I put on some woodland camouflage. I had a pair of old leather boots that my dad wore in the National Guard. I had a full-face uh, toboggan, and that was my hunting gear. I didn't even have any, any, I didn't even have a camouflage jacket. I had an old field jacket that was solid black that I had bought somewhere. And so here we are. Uh, going out into these woods, and, and, and I realized that in order to be successful, I probably need to be in a tree. Now, the terminology gets funny here, because sometimes I tell people I like to hunt off the ground. And half the people who hear that phrase think you're sitting on the ground and hunting. Well, when I say I like to hunt off the ground, that means I get off the ground. I get into the air and do it. And maybe I should be saying I hunt from a tree or hunt from the ground and st anyway. I didn't realize I've got to be in a tree. 
Well, I don't have a, a, a tree climber. And in fact, I'd never even seen a tree climber at that point in my life. I didn't know how people climb trees to hunt. So I took a short piece, a 40-foot piece of rope and a 25-foot piece of webbing, the little flat tape-looking rope, and, and then a handful of carabiners and, and walked into the woods with Mr. Thatcher. And he said, this is a good tree that, that you could hunt near. There's a, a deer trail that comes by it. And then what are you going to do with this rope? Well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to climb this tree. <laughs> and, and he looked at me askance. And I threw the rope over limb, just like I was doing in my backyard tied one end of the rope into this makeshift harness. Now you take a, you can tie a harness out of about an eight foot piece of webbing or eight foot piece of rope. It's called a Swiss seat. There's a version of it called a ranger seat. Well, the version of the harness that I tie or was tying at this time, I called it Joe Spider Modified. And that's a, a different story completely, but it's a, a, a combination of the ranger harness and a Swiss seat and you can take the extra length of webbing and wrap it around and make it extra secure. Or you can use the extra lengths of webbing and tie a carabiner to each end. And then you can wrap that around a, a limb or around a rafter. And it allows you to be positioned in a tree and not just dead-ended real close to you. It gives you the ability to move. And so I throw this rope over the limb, tie it to myself, pull myself into the tree using a, a version of a double rope technique. Now, Brent will tell you I climbed 70 feet. I didn't. I climbed high enough to hunt. And then I'm standing in this tree and I throw one of my lanyards coming off my harness around the limb and one around the trunk. And I position it such that I can just sit back and rock in this little makeshift swing. And I hunted like that. I Before daylight came, I, I ate an apple and I dropped the, the core somewhere after daylight. These deer came down the trail. Now, this is the time of of my life when you couldn't kill a female deer uh, with a with a rifle you can only kill does with a bow i wasn't bow hunting i was rifle hunting i didn't even have a bow i didn't bow hunt at the time and this deer walked under the tree and and ate the apple core i, I mean i could have killed this deer three times uh, and you know just easily killed this deer but it wasn't legal and i didn't and so I spent the day hanging in my little swing thing. And eventually, you know, Brent came out of the woods and I told him what I had seen. And he said it would have been all right with him if I'd killed the deer, but he respected my ethics. And he went back the next week with his bow and, and killed the deer from, from the same position. Well, I didn't really tell anybody what I did to hunt with him that day. And I'm not sure he told anybody else other than talking about, you know, my crazy neighbor who climbs trees like this. To tell you the truth, I was kind of ashamed of the fact that, you know, I didn't have the right gear and I didn't have the right climbing stuff. And I had taken this rope and this conglomeration of webbing and carabiners and, 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 and invented this thing. Well, fast forward 35 or 40 years and there's this craze in the bow hunting world called saddle hunting. And, and saddle hunting is, is where you take a, a harness that is modified to look like a tree cutter saddle. The difference in a climbing harness and a tree cutter saddle, number one, climbing harnesses are lightweight. A tree cutter saddles are very substantial, heavy material. And a climbing harness attaches right at your waist. It, it, it attaches real close to you. Uh, a tree saddle has a bridge, has a piece of rope that goes from like your left hip to your right hip, and it might be 18 inches in length. And when you clip into it, you've got the ability to move sideways and, and position in case you're in a tree and you have to turn and cut, or it just gives you a lot of mobility. Well, the, there are guys that are bow hunting now in a lightweight version of a, 
a tree cutter saddle, and they call it a hunting saddle. Now, if you buy a tethered, that's a company, a tethered mantis saddle, you're going to spend right at $350 for that. That doesn't count the the lineman's belt to help you get in the tree. That doesn't count the actual tether that you buy to hang from the tree. And, and this this phenomenon of, of hunting from a suspended swing seat, a, a tree saddle, it's taken over the bow hunting world. And w- with all modesty, I invented it. But because I was ashamed, I didn't tell anybody who was a real hunter. Well, I, I hunt from a rope. I didn't tell anybody who had a climbing stand or a lock-on stand. Well, you know, I just climb into a tree like a, a savage and hang from a rope like Tarzan. It turns out that the thing that I was doing just to get by is something that everybody wants to do and, and a lot of it's become super super popular and, and it's a very lucrative business if you're the guy who makes and sells tree saddles and just get on the internet and look at all the different ways people are innovating and, and telling people well this is how you climb in a saddle this is how you can eliminate a number of sticks this is how you can climb without using any steps and i climbed into the tree using just a rope and just my harness and 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 although I felt inadequate and I felt like I was substandard and felt like I was just getting by, it turns out that the thing that I did and was ashamed of is now super, super popular. In the 16th century, people put liners in their cupboards and in their cabinets. Let me modify that. In the 16th century, poor people put these paper liners in their cupboards and in their cabinets and sometimes in their smaller rooms, and the poor people decorated their walls with paper on the wall, wallpaper. And that's what the poor people did, not the aristocrats. And then suddenly there's wallpaper in mansions and in hallways and in guest rooms and in state houses. And the thing that the poor people did just to get by became the thing everybody wanted in their homes, decorative wallpaper. We didn't have carpet in our house until I was a senior in high school. We had bare hardwood floors. And now, walk into a house and and see if you can find any carpet. Everybody now has bare hardwood floors. Now, the thing that doesn't get me is I pull all the carpet out of the house and spend, you know, a week putting new flooring in. And then Jackie says, and by the way, we need a rug for the living room. Honey, we just tore all the carpet out of the house and put this hardwood floor in, and now you want to put a little rug that doesn't reach every wall in the house. I I don't understand that. I don't get it. Nonetheless, it it seems that the things that, that we have to adjust to, the things that we have to change because we feel like that we're substandard or we don't match up, those things become a thing. The things that we have to do to innovate actually become the next innovation. Learning to operate within our parameters. Learning to to celebrate what we are rather than spending an incredible amount of time worrying about what we're not may be one of the greatest lessons that I ever learned. If you take a rope, and I'm talking about climbing ropes, but it applies to any kind of rope. But if I take a rope and I put a knot in it, that rope, for practical field purposes, 
the technical numbers are a little different for a figure eight knot versus a, a bowling versus a, a hitch. But for, for field purposes, when you put a knot in a rope, that rope becomes weaker by 50%. And so when you're talking about, hey, I'm going to use this rope, but if I put a knot in it, it, it weakens it. The, the question is, what good is a rope that you don't put a knot in? You see, if you don't wrap a rope around something or wrap a rope around itself and, and create a loop or, or some kind of a bike that you can attach to, unless you're the kid from Johnny Quest, a rope is useless, except for a jump rope or a boundary marker. And the very thing that makes the rope vulnerable also makes it functional. Now, if you're not just climbing a rope like for CrossFit or just to improve your hand strength and you're not using it as a rope swing, when you're talking about the vertical environment and you're talking about climbing or you're talking about rescue or you're talking about vertical access, the rope's job is to hold you. It's not your job to hold the rope. And if you put a knot in a rope and create a loop or a bite and you can attach it to your harness, that rope will not let you go. And see, it's not your job to hold the rope. It's the rope's job to hold you, and it can't do it without the knot. The same thing that makes it vulnerable also makes it functional. And so the functionality of the rope is seen in the thing that we would say makes it inadequate because if you're putting stress on a rope and that rope breaks, unless it's cut or abraded, it will break in the knot. And so we spend a lot of our time comparing ourselves to other people. We spend a lot of our time looking at how everybody else does X, Y, or Z. We spend a lot of time looking at how people get by. And, and we feel like we're either cheating or we're substandard or we're inadequate. When in truth, that thing that you do to innovate may really become the next innovation. If necessity is the mother of invention. I, I have something that I need to do. I have something that I, I have to do, and I don't have the tools. I don't have the resources. I don't have the strength to do it. And so I'm going to find a way to make it able for me to do it. If necessity, I invent something. If necessity is the mother of invention, then our disability or our perceived inadequacy becomes the catalyst for adaptation. Using the tool of shortwave radio, World Christian Broadcasting literally covers the world every day with the gospel. They use two large curtain antennas. One is located in Anchor Point, Alaska, and the other in Madagascar. They send out messages that are recorded at their international home in Franklin, Tennessee. They make available 40 hours of broadcast every day. The broadcasts are made in English, Chinese, Russian, Spanish, Portuguese, Korean, English for Africa, and Arabic. They would love for your group to visit them. You can bring your ladies group, your youth group, or your men's group. Just give them a call at 615-371-8707, 615-371-8707, or you can go to three W's and a dot, worldchristian.org, find the donate here button, and make a financial contribution to support this work that literally covers the world every day with the gospel.
World Christian Broadcasting in cooperation with Keeping Up With Jones, the Lonnie Jones Podcast Adventure. Keeping Up With Jones, the Lonnie Jones Podcast Adventure. I am your host, Lonnie Jones. My wife Jackie and I moved to the city of Huntsville in 1986 for me to be a youth and family minister. I have been a minister since 1980. I have served in this community as a police chaplain assigned to a SWAT team since 1992. And I've been in private practice as a licensed professional counselor since 1998. I'm also an adventure educator and an avid outdoorsman. I dabble in rock climbing and I goof around with Brazilian jiu-jitsu. Our life has been full of many wonderful experiences and some just outright adventures. I used to write about those things in a little church bulletin article. So now instead of asking you to read those things, we're just going to talk about them in our podcast. And as we talk about them, we're going to talk about the facts. The facts lead to concepts and the concepts lead to application. One caveat about the facts is for the most part, we're going to tell you the facts just as they happened. But every now and then, we're going to tell you the way other people have told us they remember it happening with a little bit of embellishment. It's all good, clean fun and for educational purposes. Thank you for listening, and we hope you enjoy Keeping Up with Jones. <laughs>